Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. It was an absolute blessing. Uh, I, I look fondly upon it. Wish we would have done better, but uh, ultimately that, that is where it is. And so uh, I want to wish Coach Dykin the best of luck. I'm still a huge Colt fan and pulling for you guys. This is the Press Box. I am very rusty, but I've come off of rusty situations before and I've done well and I've had to utilize a lot of those tactics in practice and build up and plus also I know this, this golf course. With Grady and Bischoff. So I've had this planned on the books for four months for the same time. And when someone like that goes on and says something that's not true, it creates a story that's and it just keeps on going and going and going. On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Like that opening, Ed, Tyler, and Jared. No, this is the worst music Jared has ever played. I actually like this. This this. is the worst song that has ever been played. Who was that saying who was grumpy? Was that Jeff Saturday? But he wished Jeff he wished uh, Shane Steichen all the best. Yeah. Didn't win a lot. Didn't didn't win any games. Won one game, we know that. Do you guys think the Colts don't want Derek Carr because Jim they they lost to Jeff Saturday? Jeff Saturday? That's a good point. I didn't think of that. The only the only win was against Derek Carr. (laughs) Can we take this guy? We can't bring him on. That did not go well for us at all. Some uh some snow yesterday. Why the hell is it so cold? It's freezing out there, man. It's freezing. What's the point of had living the, in this damn desert if it's actually going to be cold? Had the heat jacked up in the car. You? Of course. Yeah. It was, and the house. Yeah. Oh, there you go. See? Well, I'm living in a nice spot. It but... snows inside your house. We know <laughs> <Exactly>. that. <laughs> the amazing part was, like you said before the show, it was fine. Like the sun was out. Right. It was fine. And, you know, it was probably a little chilly. That's fine. And then all of a sudden, my wife, who was planning some stuff outside, Runs in, and the dog, the bulldog, runs in, like shaking himself. I'm like, "What's happened? What's wrong with you guys?" And I look out the window, and they're like, "Look outside! It's snowing." It was still probably warmer outside than it was inside your that's house. That's true. That's true. I, it, it was so cold this morning when I went back in to turn off some lights. I felt a little, a little uh, dusting of warmth. Did yeah. you, uh, you guys have any clothes drying outside when it snowed yesterday? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had to run out and get them. It was the dog's bedding. Phenomenal. It was the dog's bedding. Yes, I had to run out and get it in the snow. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Use your dryer. We use we used the dryer to uh, um, shake up some things from the from the wash, like you know, get the yeah, yeah but out. use it to dry the clothes. Oh no, that's never happening. That's never <laughs> happening. The first bite. Was the Raiders' biggest mistake? What was the Raiders' biggest mistake with Derek Carr? I'm already starting off great today. They officially released him yesterday. Yeah. Avoided his $40.4 million guarantee. He's a free agent. Raiders freed up an extra $29.5 million in cap space. But if we, if we go back to the Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels era, which started basically <laughs> the era, ago, The era. What was there? What was this duo's biggest mistake with Carr? Maybe that they didn't trade him. I, see, here's the kind of thing on the contract. It was really only a $5 million raise, like we talked about when it happened. It was 20 to 25 They gave themselves the out. Um, they benched him for the last two games because they were scared out of their minds he was going to get hurt, and then they'd owe him $40 million. <laughs> they got nothing for him in return. Um, 
I'm not so sure that was great. I mean, I don't think it was a mistake to release them because they just look. They never believed in him. Just just the contract alone told you they never believed he was perhaps a guy who could lead them to a championship just because they gave him the, uh, the out after one year. Right. And so if you, I, I don't think they ever believed in him. If you remember going back to last year, we kept asking the question: When when are they going to sign this guy to an extension? Because Max Crosby got one right away. It was like months before they actually got something done with Derek Carr. But I think I think. The biggest problem that this front office had with Derek Carr is that they were not willing to take a risk at the quarterback position. Because last year, McDaniels and Ziggler come in. There's eight years of Derek Carr's career that you can go back and watch film or just look at numbers or just look at team results. There was eight years of Derek Carr's career that told us exactly who he was as a quarterback. He's a top 15 quarterback in the league. He's not a top five quarterback in the league. And last year in the offseason, they could have traded Derek Carr. They probably would have gotten a first round pick for Derek Carr if they had traded him last year. But they were not willing to take the risk of moving on from a top 15 but not top five quarterback in Derek Carr. That would have been a risky thing to do in your first year. Come in, get rid of the quarterback, bring in your own guy because new quarterback could have been terrible. But they weren't willing to take that risk. On the flip side, they also weren't willing to take the risk of signing Derek Carr to a legitimate long-term deal. Right? If they had signed Carr to a real extension... Like three three years guaranteed and you know, there's no out after the right. first year. He's still the quarterback of this team yes. and they're not releasing a top 15 quarterback for absolutely nothing this week. But they weren't willing to take the risk. They tried to play it safe and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to go with this top 15 quarterback, but it's only going to be a one-year deal and, and then we'll evaluate from there. They didn't take a risk on either side. They tried to play it safe. And then this offseason... They were, again, not willing to take the risk. The risk that I've been yelling about for three weeks now is that they should have just held Carr. They should have just held on to Derek Carr past the deadline yesterday and had him on the roster. Guarantee that $40 million, but plan to trade him. Because, and the reason that's a risk is maybe you never trade him and you got to pay him $40 million. To be your third string quarterback. Right. But I absolutely believe had they kept Derek Carr, they would have eventually traded Derek Carr for a legitimate asset. They would have moved him for a second-round pick, maybe a first-round pick, depending on how the quarterback market shakes out this offseason, but they weren't willing to take that risk either. Instead, they sort of did the safe thing at every turn with their quarterback position, and it led to them getting a six-win season with Derek Carr and no assets in return with Derek Carr leaving this. Well, That's their biggest issue. They were afraid to take a risk. The first non-risk you said they took, is, which is not to trade him in the beginning, I mean, should, that probably had a lot to do with their whole win-now mantra, right? Like yeah. they were going to win now, and now it's the process because they went 6-11, and 11, so it's not win-now. Now it's the rebuilding process. <laughs> but in the beginning, it was, oh, we're going to win now. Sign Chandler Jones, trade for Devontae Adams, we're winning now. We're doing all this, you know, the all the uh, moves to do that. So we're going to keep a top fifteen quarterback and win now. It just didn't, and I've, and then it just you know went back in their faces by right. how they played and what they finished with. Right. And the risk at the time would have been trade him for a first round pick, draft a quarterback, or sign a free agent. Whatever the situation would, have, depending on how early in the process you trade Carr, would have uh, 
that would have determined that. right because if you trade him after the draft, then obviously you right. can't draft one. But trade him, get a first round pick, and then find your quarterback somewhere else, and pre- potentially get a cheap quarterback, right, and build up your roster even more around that cheap quarterback, which could have helped this team this season. But they didn't want to do that. And even if you go with the win now mindset, if you give them a three year, a legitimate like two or three year extension. That would have been a risk, but they're probably in a better position than they are right now because they don't lose a quarterback for absolutely nothing. Other thing I wanted to ask you, because Vic Tafer wrote this from The Athletic. Uh, he had a story headlined, it, is it, or he said, Raiders won't get anything back for Derek Carr, and that's okay. Is it okay that today on February 15th, Derek Carr is no longer a Raider and the Raiders got zero assets in return for him? I don't, I mean... We said we just said a minute ago that that's one of the reason that's one of the reasons that it was bad that they didn't get back anything for him. Right, they didn't get any assets. Um, yeah, I mean they gave him by giving him the no trade though they risked that by giving him no yes. trade they always risked that that he yeah. would be the way he was and said I'm not going anywhere and you're not getting anything for me. Yeah, that was the detail in the contract that really gave Carr the power. Right. Unless, of course, the Raiders had kept Carr pass yesterday, then all of a sudden Derek Carr, sure, he's got the no trade clause, but he doesn't, he doesn't, not a free agent. He doesn't get to dictate where he goes. He's got to work with the Raiders to go somewhere if they had kept him. But here's why it's not okay that the Raiders got nothing for Derek Carr. Go back a couple of years ago, Carson Wentz threw 16 touchdowns and 15 picks for the Eagles. They then traded him to Indy. And got a first-round pick Mm -hmm. and a third-round pick for Carson Wentz. Then, Carson Wentz played one year in Indy. Colts decided, we don't want this guy anymore. They traded him to Washington. They got a third-round pick and a second-round pick swap. So, actually, two third-round picks. So, they got two-thirds, plus they got to move up in the second round. Two teams in consecutive off-seasons traded a bad quarterback and got assets back quarterback that is worse than Derek Carr good assets back and got picks back in return it is not okay to lose a top 15 quarterback in the NFL and get nothing back it's not okay that is terrible by a front office because that is one of the best assets in the NFL quarterbacks get traded for ridiculous picks all of the time Gardner Minshew got traded for a sixth round pick one season right Quarterbacks get traded for assets. Quarterbacks do not walk. Quarterbacks do not hit true free agency in this league if they're any good. And he's good. It just does not happen. And the Raiders mismanaged Derek Carr and the quarterback situation so poorly that they ended up getting nothing for one of the best assets, one of the things that teams covet the most. And that is a top 15 quarterback. Top 15 quarterback. That's not good. It's not okay that the front office walked away from that. It's fine that the Derek Carr era is over. It's fine that they're moving on from Carr. It's something that like four coaching staffs probably should have done throughout the last decade, right? They did not win very much with Carr. Is it all Carr's fault? No. No, absolutely not. They needed to move on from Derek Carr. That's fine. To get nothing for him is a big deal. And if he... If Derek Carr signs a contract with $100 million guaranteed to it, Raiders completely screwed this. They'll look even worse. Blew it. Completely. If, if, listen, if Carr signs some terrible tiny deal 
where he's getting like 20 million a year and only like 30 millions guaranteed, then we might look back and say, wow, nobody wanted this guy. So the Raiders, maybe they weren't going to get anything for him. But if he signs an extension or a new deal and it's a hundred million guaranteed and it's 30 plus million a year, Raiders should have kept him and should have been able to trade him because that he's valuable to other teams. So I do not think you can look back and say it's okay that, that the they Raiders got nothing for him. Got nothing for Carr. Absolutely nothing. Because that's a good asset. And it's a team that it's a team that needs assets. They weren't very good last year. So they didn't need as many picks as they can get. Even even if it was just, hey, we're gonna give you two thirds for Carr. Yeah. Which is a that's something. Which is a complete low ball based on what quarterbacks normally get traded for that are as good as Derek Carr. That still would have been, hey, you can at least potentially find a starter or two if you do well. I'd love to know rounders. what the framework was of the Saints deal. The the trade or the contract to Carr? No, the, what what they would have gotten back? What they would oh have the trade? Back. Yeah, yeah. Like, I. What th- was the framework? What was what would the Saints allow are willing to give up for him? Was it uh, Tom Pelissero that reported it was a third round pick? Or that, that was it? He said the Raiders were asking for a third round okay. pick. So that Oof. was that was my assumption. Should have been asking for time. more. Yeah. Well, at that point, they were for whatever reason the Raiders just decided we're cutting Carr on February fourteenth, where he's not on the team. So we'll take whatever the hell you want to offer if you're willing to offer something, and Carr's willing to waive it because again they weren't willing to take the risk of holding him on the roster past February fifteenth. And there's a lot of people that are like, well, you need the cap space if you're the Raiders because they did clear thirty million in cap right. space. Free agency doesn't start for a month. Right. You can't sign anybody right now. You'd have a whole month to agree to a trade. You can tamper. You can tamper. Carr yeah. can Derek Carr can legally tamper because he's a free agent. Yeah. So he can talk to whoever he wants. Guys that are like He's got a month head start. Right. Like uh Josh Jacobs right now can't legally talk yeah, he can't to talk other to teams. But Carr, because he got cut, oh, he's good to go. Yeah. Start calling up whoever he wants. Get signed, get an agreement in place. First day of free agency, $150 million guaranteed from the Carolina Panthers. It'll be great. Who are interested in him? Apparently so. Um, all right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, it was another bad night for UNLV basketball under Kevin Kruger. More with the ball out top. Moore comes down the left side. Moore lost the basketball going up. And the ball clearly went off his hand, and the official's going to give it to San Jose. And no, neither of the other two officials... I, that is abs. I mean, I could see it from here. That's a terrible call. You're on the elevator up to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. UNLV lost to San Jose State last night, 75 to 66. Couple of stats for you: the nine-point loss is the largest margin of defeat for UNLV against San Jose State since San Jose State joined the Mountain West. And only two UNLV coaches have been swept by San Jose State in Mountain West play. Marvin Menzies in his first year, and now Kevin Kruger. All right. So, once again, uh, didn't think they played well defensively um, for against San Jose State. San Jose State, I think, 30 points in the key. Uh, shot well from three. They couldn't make a shot at the other end. What's... I don't know what's happening here, man. I mean, more and more that 10-0 start is kind of a mirage of what kind of schedule that was and, and really who they played because ever since they've been in Mountain West, uh, they've been as inconsistent as heck, and now they're just not just losing games by making the same mistakes over and over. I I don't understand how they fell so 
but so much. So much from the start. Because, yes, the non-conference schedule was easy. But they, right now, that 11-1 and non-conference record, they went 3-0 and against teams that are currently in the Ken Palm Top 100. And San Francisco's 105, so we can make it 3-1 and against nearly Top 100 teams. They... No, they did not play a hard schedule, but they beat a handful of decent basketball teams. And it's not like they've gotten into Mountain West play and, oh, they just can't beat San Diego State or Utah State. They're getting, they got swept by Fresno. By Fresno State. and now San they Jose got, State. Like, they're losing to the bad teams in this conference. And maybe I shouldn't call San Jose State bad. Maybe they're, they're better than that. But, this isn't just a matter of UNLV isn't as good as the top of the conference, which would have been, listen, they played an easy non-conference schedule. They get into conference play and all right, they're just not as good as San Diego state, but they still beat, you know, the, the bottom tier teams in the mountain West. And you'd be like, okay, like that in the fifth spot, that would have made sense. Right. But this team has lost to most of the top teams. They did beat Nevada at home. But they've also somehow managed to lose both games to San Jose State and both games and to Fresno, Fresno State. State. It just it, it doesn't make sense how they have fallen this far from where they're the, the non-conference schedule being super easy doesn't explain how they've fallen this far. They're five and nine in the Mountain West. Five and nine. Yeah. That's that's bad. Yeah. E, they cannot finish with a record above five hundred in the Mountain West. They went out there nine and nine, and that's as good as it gets. For this team, I don't understand how it fell this far from where they were at the start of the year. Well, Kevin said the other day when we were practice, and I, I think these this number's a little uh, skewed here in terms of uh, inflated, where he said 90% of the time they've been okay defensively, and it's the other 10% of the time where they have fallen off. I don't think it's 90-10. No. He, and last night when he was talking after the game, um, he he was talking about ah oh, we we had some really good moments we had a we did fine defensively we would just have one small breakdown in a lot of possessions like he thought that they played well defensively for the majority of the game I didn't and it's not true they were bad defensively for again they're bad defensively against teams that are not necessarily great this is not a great offensive team that walks in here and has a phenomenal game against UNLV. That's not what's been happening. It's been UNLV get stops last night. has been bad against average or worse offenses over and over and over in Mountain West play. And this was a team that was supposed to be built on defense. Yeah. Right. That's what the identity of this team was supposed to be. And they're just simply not good enough at it. Like right now they sit um, sixth in the Mountain West in defensive efficiency. This team, if there was going to be any success this year, they needed to be second. Yeah. Right. They needed to be among the top two or three teams defensively. And that's just not the case because they're eighth in offensive efficiency, which is. But we expected that. Right. We never thought they were going to be. Maybe we thought they'd be a little bit better than eighth, but they were never supposed to be a good offensive no. team. They were supposed to be a good defensive team and they're not. They're an average Mountain West defensive team, which is was never going to get the job done for them this year. It's just bizarre how it's turned so quickly and fallen so fast. And to give you uh, a body language reading, last night, press conference, Kevin Kruger, first off, he uh, they didn't send any players to talk to the media afterwards. It was only co- it was only the coach, Kevin Kruger. I don't know that he made eye contact with a single person. He was eyes straight down to the table for the entire postgame press conference, which is not 
that is not Kevin Kruger. No. He is not, not a guy that just absentmindedly stares no. into the table. He makes eye contact. No, he, he's, he's, when you ask a question, he looks at you. Right. He's the been whole time. always been somewhat, I don't know what the right word is, personable or something when he talks to the media. He was eyes straight down in the table for an entire press conference. Like, if if a player did that, we'd be like, oh, he's defeated. A coach doing that, that's a to me, that was a kind of a tough watch. Like, what does that mean for the rest of the season? Well, you got swept by San Jose State, I think is what the reality of it is. Right. And he realizes how poorly this has gone for UNLV. So I don't get how it's been this bad. I mean, just... To, to give you the answer, by the way, on the points in the paint, both teams yesterday scored 30 points in the paint, right? Like UNLV got as many points inside as San Jose State did. The issue is that San Jose State was 13 of 18 on layups and dunks. UNLV was 13 of 28. Uh, UNLV shot less than 50% on layups last night. That's horrific. So they had a lot of more attempts than San Jose State and didn't actually score more points. And then San Jose State also shot 40% from three. From three. Which... We've talked about it before. You're almost never winning a game when you get outshot that much because they made 12 and UNLV made five. And a lot of teams that come in here, I keep hearing how poorly they shoot threes. Well, they don't push you poorly against UNLV. (laughs) They do not. They don't, (laughs) especially from three. I'm watching last night and, you know, I'm hearing how they're not a great three-point shooting team and all I see is guys jacking on threes. (laughs) And they go in. (laughs) I mean, that's, yeah, they keep going in. One other specific thing from last night, UNLV's offensive game plan, I'm not quite sure what they were thinking, but their primary offense was pick and roll with David Mawaka. And then when the other team would uh, double or just show help side to the ball handler, they threw it to David Mawaka. Mawaka took eight shots last night. It's the second most he's had in a game this season. The only time he had more was high point, which shouldn't count as a real game. So that's the most they've tried to use Mawaka. He's not an offensive center. That's not what his role is. And for some reason, the game plan was, well, let's get him in as many pick and rolls as possible and throw it to him as he's rolling to the basket. He was fine, but that's you're never going to win a game because David Mawaka is rolling to the basket. That's not his. That's not what he's good at. So I was stunned that they kept trying to throw it to Mawaka rolling to the basket. That's not playing to your strengths. That's playing to your weak. That's the thing Kevin Kruger benched him for. That's playing to your weaknesses. That was very confusing. For me, but uh, yeah, five and nine now in the Mountain West um, on a personal level, Ed, excellent loss for UNLV because they are in great shape to get the eight, nine seed and oh, yes. play the early game of the Mountain West tournament. That's what we want. If they, what if, we want. if they had won that, this whole exercise is about the deadline. <laughs> it is. Yes. If we won, if they won that, they'd actually New Mexico be lost. Yeah. They'd be a half be game cl- out, of out of fifth. Yeah. And so, now San Jose State's in fifth. Yeah, they are, which is surprising, but here they are. I mean, good for them. It is. Good for 10 miles. Yeah. Coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, Colorado State head coach Nico Medved joins the show. Lake bounces to Stevens. Stevens comes right side, gets double teamed. Stevens gives the ball Stay to there. Conjay. Got him. Cornered him. Conjay. No! And they bail him out. A foul on Vic Iwako. That is atrocious. Kevin Kruger came as close as I've seen him to getting a technical right there, and he gathered himself. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. 
We're a few weeks away from the Mountain West Tournament coming back to Las Vegas. We will have tickets to give away later in the show, so stay tuned for that. And joining us now, head coach of Colorado State, Nico Medved. Good morning, Nico. Hi, coach. Yeah, good morning, guys. Was that Did I hear that off air, you guys complaining about a bad call on the Rebels in our game? <laughs> that is uh, the lovely John Sandler, the play-by-play announcer for UNLV. And I love John, yeah. Our, our favorite uh, highlights to play is John Sandler getting upset at uh, missed calls or sometimes not missed calls, and he just gets upset anyways. It's great. Uh, it's phenomenal. Oh, I love it. Um, Nico, love before it. we get into any basketball, uh, you guys did not play last night, so did you actually get to celebrate Valentine's Day? Uh, well, like in a typical coach's fashion, I celebrated Valentine's day by doing my own radio show. Uh, so that's, that's the life of a coach guys. And I was actually surprised that all the fans who showed up and I'm like, how romantic you're going to go watch the coaches show tonight. Like, go take your wife to go do something. Good gracious. Is, is a college, uh, basketball coach, the worst coach for the worst sport to coach in terms of holidays. Gosh, I, I, it's funny you say that. I, I feel that way. And even for our players, you know, you, you don't really get Thanksgiving. You're lucky if you get a few days at Christmas. You don't get spring break. You don't get Valentine's Day. Um, God, it's really a miracle we're still happily married. <laughs> so um, it does. It just it kind of covers the whole uh, the, the whole gamut. But, man, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I was going to say, you, you still love it, though. Oh, man, you wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for anything. It's it's got its challenges. Obviously, you know, we've had a, a lot of success this year. It's been a challenge for, for so many reasons, but that's all, that's all part of what we signed up for. So no, it's a, it's a, it's a great life. Wouldn't trade it for anything. If we go back a, about a month to uh, Colorado state, you guys coming into Las Vegas and beating UNLV in overtime, how many times had Isaiah Stevens practiced the two handed behind the head shot from half court? <laughs> oh, every day. I just, that's <laughs> what we do. So <laughs> you know, it's funny that, that, that play, it's just, it's kind of what makes, you know, college basketball great. And this, especially coming into this time of the year is, you know, the, the crazy things happen, but the one thing I'll say about that play, you know, it's, it, it's a, it, the play is something that we practice and you got to give yourself an opportunity to make the, 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 the outrageous shot. Right. So uh, the shot was outrageous, but the way it all played out and putting ourselves in position and we make a perfect pass you got to be able to pass that thing into the front court. He makes a perfect reception. And then, yeah, he makes a, a circus shot. Everybody remembers that, but there were a lot of things leading up to that just to give yourself an opportunity to do that. And, you know, as you follow this here in the last few months and into March, we'll see more of those. Uh you lost. You obviously lost a great player in Roddy. Um, you knew it would probably be uh, a little while to rebuild it. Um, what has happened this year in terms of uh, why you're trying to get back? I think, you know, not just losing Roddy, but you don't know when you're going to lose him, right? So right. his thing went right down to, to the decision day in May. And so, you know, he knew, we knew, and, you know, staying in constant communication with him, he was coming back here or, or, or going. And, and I think all of him was really leaning towards coming back to us, decided to go. He clearly made the right decision for him. But as that's going on, you, you don't have a scholarship to replace him, B, nor do you have any, any playing time to sell, right? Who's going to come to that position and play if they think he's coming back, right? Um, so it, it did. It put us in a, in a tough situation. And then, you know, there's a lot of things going on in, in college hoops as we don't need to get into with the way things have changed with, with recruiting. And, and then, guys, we've just dealt. I've never been through a season with as many injuries as we've had. 
It is just, we played the last two games with seven, seven guys. We've done that earlier again in conference play. Uh, I think we're going to have one more back tonight to get to eight. Um, so it's just been a really, really disjointed year. And boy, then you, you look at how great the league is playing right now. And so, you know, you come in a little bit half-stepping or not playing full strength and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's going to be tough to, to win games. But i got great guys. They're battling, and hopefully we can find a way to, to play our best here in the last six games. Nico Medved with us, the head coach of Colorado State. So uh, you guys in Wyoming uh, competing to see who has the most players every night? Gosh, it feels like that. Um, you know, and I think the one thing from a, from a coach's perspective that's hard, it, it, it makes it difficult to practice and to prepare sometimes, too, as you're trying to develop continuity and all those things. And But, listen, we're not alone. People deal with injuries. We've been really fortunate, guys. You know, the last couple of years, we've stayed healthy, relatively healthy. We've had our guys out there, and, and that's made a big difference. And you know, uh, you lose a few key guys at, at, at the wrong time, things can go sideways. But, you know, I, I give Wyoming a lot of credit, right? They've, they've stayed with it. And look, they got themselves a big win last night. You know, Nico, and uh, we, were, we were able to get a big win at Air Force the other night. So we'll see what happens. Nico, do you guys have um, student managers or assistant coaches jumping into five-on-five drills? Uh, really assistant coaches. So we just try to be creative. You know, I mean, you, you do a lot more things, you know, three-on-three, four-on-four, uh, we really don't have the opportunity to do much five on five at all. Um, so you just, you just try to get creative and do the best you can. And um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're not alone. I'm sure Wyoming's been doing some of the, some of the same stuff, but, but yeah, it really has changed the way we've prepared and practiced really all season. But again, we're not the first team to have to go through it. Uh, we asked Justin Hudson this last week in terms of the NSA tournament. I think one of the things that people it stands out to them is not getting there, but actually starting to win games as a Mountain West as a whole. Uh, how important is that? And you'll get multiple bids this year, but to get there and start making an impact by winning games. Huge. I, I, I think, you know, people, whether it's right or wrong, I don't think it's, it's, it's right. I think it's a wrong way to look at it, you know, people will judge you on, on the one game this time of the year, right? And, and ultimately, um, even somebody who maybe didn't have as good of a year, if they win the right game at the right time, that's what people are going to remember. And so we do. The Mountain West is a phenomenal league. We've got to find a way to, to cash in here in the NCAA tournament and start winning games. And I'm confident that we'll do that. We keep putting teams in. Uh, we're going to have a chance to win. And you know, last year we drew Michigan, and in the first round we were a sixth seed. I was the highest seed the school had ever had ever gotten. And you know, we we led at halftime, and we had a chance in the second half, but we just you know we let it get away from us. And it's interesting, they end up beating Tennessee the next night and go to the go to the Sweet Sixteen. But sometimes the hardest game to win is just that first game, and if you can find a way to do that, anything can happen. All right, I've got a, I've got a stat for you, and then a question. In the last decade. There have been 20 coaches hired in the Mountain West. You are the only one that has been to the NCAA tournament who didn't go in his first or second season. So there's the stat for you. The question then is, here in UNLV, Kevin Kruger, it looks like they're not going to go to the NCAA tournament after his first two seasons. What was the key for you to be able to actually build that up over multiple years rather than the instant success that we see some coaches have? I think, you know, circumstances were, were different. I mean, when, you know, and 
we had taken over a program that, you know, clearly was going to have to be rebuilt for various reasons, you know, and, and, um, you know, the first year was tough. You know, our second year we really focused on, you know, it wasn't so much the, the transfer portal. We really felt like we needed to get a great young class of guys that we could come in and build with and then start to supplement that. And that first class for us, um, pretty good, right? Roddy, Isaiah Stevens, <laughs> John Tanjay. Um, and so we kind of started with some young guys. And then, you know, in our second year, uh, we won 20 games. We made a big jump, you know, in the league, finished 11-7 and seven in the league. And then really, you know, kind of from there, uh, um, um, the rest is, is history. And so I think it's just, you, you know, the portal is a huge deal, you know, and I get that. But I also think if you look at the programs around the country that have the sustained success, they also have guys in their program that are continuing to get better and that they build with. And I, I think it's difficult, you know, if everybody's trying to, you know, every year turn over their roster with so many different guys, I think that becomes difficult to develop chemistry and continuity. You might catch it right on the right year, but I think that's hard. So it's a combination of both of finding some of those guys that can stay in your program and continue to develop and then finding the right guys that can come in and add to that. And so, um, I think Kevin's doing a terrific job. I mean, I know they've hit a tough stretch here, but this league's unforgiving now. <laughs> you know, this league is unforgiving, and so he he's, he he does a really good job. Um, they're going to continue to get better, and and uh, I think he's on the right track. Mountain West tournament coming up in a few weeks here in Las Vegas. Again, we got tickets a little bit later in the show to give away. He is Nico Medved, head coach of the Colorado State Rams. Nico, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, coach. I appreciate you guys. See you in Vegas. See you. So there's Nico Medved from Colorado State. They play Boise State tonight, by the way, uh, hosting the Boise State Broncos. So I do think it's interesting that if we're doing the comparison like I did yesterday about coaches that have made it to the NCAA tournament right away versus guys that didn't make it right away, and Medved's kind of the only one that's done it later in the last decade in this conference. Like he said, his first class, he came in and said, let's get some young guys that can potentially be the core. Mm-hmm. And he and nailed he a great it class. with two guys in Roddy and Isaiah Stevens. Stevens. And three years later, they were in the NCAA tournament. You're, if you compare it to Kruger, Kruger has not done that. Kruger has gone extremely heavy in the transfer portal. So there's not really a, oh, he hasn't made it in the first two years, but at least he's got these two or three players that could be the pieces, right? Who would those guys be? Maybe Keyshawn Gilbert? but that's really the only one you could point to. He doesn't Kruger doesn't have his Isaiah Stevens or his David Roddy like Nico Medved did in his first couple of years, even though they weren't in the NCAA tournament. So he's probably going to have to kill it in the portal this off season. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be the path to success for Kevin Kruger next year. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN, Las Vegas, Ed, Guess who's the biggest cheating organization in baseball? The Astros. Find out next. There will come a point in time when my body will not allow me to do that anymore. And it's probably sooner than later. But wrapping my head around that transition and being an ambassador role and just playing and just trying to be out here with the guys, no, that's not in my DNA. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Am I going to be tuning in Sunday to watch Tiger Woods try to win a tournament? I mean, if I think he's in the running. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm asking you to tell me. Is he going to actually win the tournament? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. No. Right. No. 
I thought you said, are you going to be tuning in on Sunday to watch Tiger Woods no. in the tournament? I mean, I will tune in if you tell if Sunday it's like, oh, Tiger's within two shots yeah. of the lead or something. Oh, I'll definitely I'm watch just, the entire I'm just thing. asking you, is he going to be no. that close? No. Okay. He's just not any good? No. I mean, he's not. He's way too rusty. He's not that good right now. I, okay. Uh, maybe that's a good thing for him. Huh? He's got if I'm texting you that he's in, in contention, you'll turn it on? I've got too I've got too many friends that are obsessed with golf that I'll know. I'll I'll know every damn shot he takes. One of my best friends from Mississippi is just loves Tiger Woods. Ken, he'll probably wear a red Nike shirt on Sunday, even if Tiger <laughs> misses the cut. You know who does that? Wears a red Nike or a red like polo shirt if they think they're going to have a good day? Our boss. <laughs> not not at golf. Just no. If just he thinks he's going to have a good, he's gonna if have he, a good day. If he thinks he's going to have a good day, he wears the red <laughs> polo shirt. <laughs> So you're saying I should ask him for a raise when I see him in the red shirt? <laughs> well, he may take it off and switch to a different one. <laughs> a blue one. All right, Ed. You ready for this? This I is see uh, it. I Ev- see it. Evan Drellich. We talked about this earlier. Uh, Evan Drellich is writing a book that's largely about the Astros. And it was released yesterday. They're sign stealing. Um, is it actually out? According to his Twitter. Oh, okay. I thought it was still not going to be out for a while. But it's a be- it's a book that's mainly about the Astros and their sign stealing schemes and whatever else in that front office uh, from 2015 16 on to 2019. But there are parts of that book that are about the rest of Major League Baseball and other teams. We talked on Monday about how a member of the 2018 Do- uh, Red Sox, Red Sox, that beat the Dodgers in the World Series, right. said that Major League Baseball caught the Dodgers illegally stealing signs in the 2018 World Series and did not punish the Dodgers. A different excerpt from that book says this. One member of the Dodgers said during the 2017 season, they indeed did use a base runner scheme determining sign sequences with the help of their video room, an analog to what the Red Sox and Yankees had done in recent years. Red Sox and Yankees were both caught illegally stealing signs. They had the Red Sox, for example, had somebody sitting in the video room. They, when they figured out what the catcher's signs were for the pitcher, would text on an Apple Watch to somebody in the dugout who would tell somebody on second base to tell the batter what pitch was coming. Dodgers doesn't appear as though they had an Apple Watch, but had some sort of similar system in play. Biggest cheating organization in baseball, the L.A. Dodgers. Everyone does it. <laughs> He taught he he taught girls to like uh, what slap their head whenever the oh yeah deuce was but coming. That was legal. That was that was Ed just telling them one is fastball, two is curveball, yes. and if they're not going to change that, that's on them. Ed didn't have somebody with a camera set up in center field no. that we know of. Starkest, yeah, Starkest on the scaffolding. Maybe you should have had, had him. That. I should have had him out there. That would have been great. Starkest out there giving signs in from the scaffolding. Yeah, but. God, think about that story. They were the best under-12 softball team in the country (laughs) until it turned out they had a guy on scaffolding. Who's that weird guy out there? Why is he always at these games? Why is he tipping his cap the whole time? (laughs) Cops show up. No, no, it's not creepy. We're just cheating. (laughs) Exactly. Don't worry. We're just stealing signs. So Yankees were caught in 2015. 
Red Sox in 2018, Astros obviously in 2017. Dodgers? Dodgers have not actually been punished or investigated, which I think is the key phrase there. Yankees investigated, Astros investigated, Red Sox investigated. Those were the only three teams investigated. All right. Dodgers were not. As much as you're anti-Dodgers, do you truly believe they knew it and didn't do anything to them? Yes. Really? Why? They did not do anything to the Astros until a player on the Astros said it, said that, hey, we were illegally stealing signs. And there was a massive story that uh, The Athletic had, and um, people started going out and trying to pull videos from from the Astros season and being like, oh, you can clearly hear the trash cans right here. So once there's a former player and once there's a bunch of videos saying, hey, this is exactly what he said happened, Major League Baseball couldn't ignore it. I, I absolutely believe that Major League Baseball would have found these teams because the Yankees in 2015 got caught doing this and were not punished. They got caught illegally using the replay room to steal signs, and Major League Baseball said, hey, knock that off. Don't do that anymore. The Yankees and Red Sox then accused each other of doing it, and Major League Baseball said, hey, knock that off. Stop doing that. So, yes, I do not find it hard to believe that Major League Baseball would have found these teams doing it and not done anything about and it. not done anything about it? They, I know different commissioner and all that. Same thing with steroids. We, we knew that wasn't breaking news. No, but, people's heads are supposed to be that size. But Major League Baseball didn't do anything about it until it became... Until the United States Congress right. got involved. The, the sticky, the spider tack. Everybody, but when that whole spider tax story exploded and Major League Baseball finally cut back on it, everybody was like, oh, yeah, they, they, they've been doing that for years, right? We've been, there's a whole damn company that was making the spider tack that was like, oh, yeah, we sell it to baseball teams. Right. There was former clubhouse attendants that were giving it to the visiting team's pitchers because it was so common. Major League Baseball has a history of knowing who's cheating. And not doing anything about it until it becomes so public and such a big story that they're forced to do it. They did the spider tack thing in the middle of a season because Trevor Bauer was out here like, I'm cheating, everybody. You're not breaking, you're not getting anybody else in trouble. So guess what? I'm going to do it too, and I'm going to tell everybody about it. So yeah, I absolutely believe that they would have caught teens and said, all right, knock it off. We're not going to do anything, but knock it off. We did the right thing with Trevor. Well, way <laughs> to bring that to way, the spider well, yeah. attack. Part. Well, yes, not the spider attack thing. <laughs> Unrelated to that, yes. Unrelated to spider attack. Hey, he is a very promising uh, TikTok career. <laughs> he does. He does have a promising TikTok career. So I'm not on TikTok. Is he on there? Yes. And uh, it's him is, and a bunch of college baseball players. There's a, there's a guy on TikTok called the King of Juco. I don't know if he's actually at a Juco or not, but he's just a baseball player that hits. And Trevor Bauer is always pitching to this guy in a batting cage. That's their TikTok. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they do other things, but that's the one I always see. Does the kid hit him? Yeah, he like makes contact every now and then. And if he like (laughs) hits a soft line drive, he'll flip his bat like he had a home run. (laughs) Which, to be fair, I would too if I got a hit off a major league pitcher. I'd be like, you damn right, I'm flipping the bat. So give the Astros back their draft picks if everybody was doing it.